Tommy Rowe. Listen to Interview the Legends with Ray Shasho on BBS Radio TV. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends, brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency, devoted to promoting musicians and authors worldwide. Call us today at 941-877-1552 to start your free publicity evaluation. Remember, we shine only when we make you shine. Please welcome the host of Interviewing the Legends, music journalist, author, and entrepreneur, Ray Shasho. Hello once again, everyone. I'm your host, Ray Shasho. Welcome to another edition of Interviewing the Legends on BBS Radio TV. Brought to you by the Rockstar Chronicles Series 1, my new book featuring over 45 intimate conversations with the greatest music legends the world will ever know. Available now at bookbaby.com and amazon.com and featuring Mr. Tommy Rowe. When recollecting those perpetual hit makers of the 60s, singer-songwriter Tommy Rowe's accomplishments are among the elite of the music industry. Tommy Rowe wrote and recorded six top ten hits between 1962 and 69, more than any other solo American artist, including 11 top 40 hits, four certified gold singles, and two number one hits. Tommy Rowe is a member of the Hit Parade Hall of Fame, the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, the Rockabilly Hall of Fame, Rock and roll pioneer Tommy Rowe became an overnight top 40 cents radio sensation with his 1962 number one hit, Sheila, a tune in which Rowe pays homage to Buddy Holly. Tommy Rowe scored again the following year with his top 10 hit, Everybody, reaching number three in the U.S. 1963, Tommy Rowe and Chris Montez, famous for songs like Let's Dance, Call Me, The More I See You, toured with an up-and-coming rock and roll band called the Beatles. Rowe initially tried to get the Beatles a recording contract, but was told by a record executive to stick to writing music and leave the record business to him. When the Beatles' popularity materialized, Tommy Rowe was asked to perform at their first American concert at the Washington Coliseum in D.C. Because of an overseas wave of music to hit the U.S. called the British Invasion, Rowe was forced to conceive a new sound. In 66, Tommy Rowe's number 8 top 40 bubblegum hit, Sweet Pea, Swept the Nation, followed by a British Invasion-influenced release, Hooray for Hazel, which reached number six on Billboard's Top 100. 1969, Tommy Rose stuck, struck gold twice with the prevailing Dizzy reaching number one and the Freddie Weller, Paul Revere and the Raiders, uh, Freddie Weller, co-written tune, Jam Up and Jelly Tight, peaking at number eight on the Billboard charts. Please welcome the music legend that gave us 23 top 100 hit singles, six Billboard top 200 albums, four gold singles with Sheila, Dizzy, Sweet Pea, and Jam Up and Jelly Tight, Tommy Rowe, interviewing the legends. Hello, Tommy. Well, what 
else can we talk about? I don't know, man. You've done it all. <laughs> you covered it very well, Ray. Very well. I tell you what, that, I, was, I was just sitting here reminiscing from 1962 all the way through the early 70s that you covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was a top 40 DJ, so you're, you're very special to me. <laughs> Well, thank you. You're very special to your audience and to everybody. Thank you very much. First, on a sad note, I want to say how sorry I am for the loss of your beloved wife. That, 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 well, thank you so much, Ray. Thank you. And uh, her, her name was Josette, and she was a, uh, a, a well-known actress from France. Um, yes. She, she was in many films, uh, Rich Man, Poor Man, to be exact. Uh, yeah. the, the TV show, The Other Side of Midnight. I remember Blind Ambition, Hollywood Night. And she will be very, very missed. Yeah, she won a Golden Globe for Rich Man, Poor Man. She she was quite a lady. I miss her very much. We were married for 44 years, so, wow. you know. Congratulations. Uh, that's half a lifetime, man, with one person. And, she, you know, she was just uh, really a big part of my career and my life. You know, it, it's it, not only is she your wife, but she was your best friend. And that's the way I look at my oh, wife. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, me and my, my wife and I were married uh, now for 38 years. Uh, oh, congratulations. That's great. Yeah. My mom passed away a couple of years ago from Alzheimer's. So, um, well, that's what my wife, her problem, she had yeah. Alzheimer's as well. And, uh, it's a, what a very cruel, it is. agonizing disease. I mean, it's just when you can't communicate with your loved one for the past two years, you know, she just didn't know me or children or anybody. And it, it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking to watch. It's just really devastating. So, you know, hopefully they hopefully they can come up with some kind of a treatment or a cure for it because it's just, I think it's worse than any, like, cancer or anything else. You know, I really do. I think you're right. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a horrible disease. And, and, you know, the only other disease that could come close, I think, was Lou Gehrig's disease, which is very, very painful. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, well anyway, life goes on. We try to yep. turn the page and make the best of what's left, you know, and uh, yep. that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm still writing and making some records. You know, it's pretty easy to make records these days if you have a little home studio. You exactly. can do it on the computer. Yeah. And uh, that's what I've been doing. And, of course, that's all part of my DNA. You know, I never... I've, I started writing songs when I was 14, and I, I haven't stopped. I just, it's something I do all the time. And, you know, most of them aren't hits, but that doesn't matter. It's just the idea of, of uh, generating new ideas and, and putting them on paper and trying to record them. Yeah, you wrote Sheila when you were 14, right? I did. You know, my dad taught me four chord, uh, three chords on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to write these little poems, and I wrote a poem for a little girl I used to chase around the playground and her name was Frida so originally it was called Sweet Little Frida and uh, that was the poem and then when I learned to play the guitar uh, we like, you know I wrote the song around Frida and then I, I got a chance to audition for a record producer I sang Frida for him he says man I love that song Frida but I'm not crazy about the title mm -hmm. so I don't know why he didn't like the name Freedom. Maybe as an ex-girlfriend or something. Didn't work out. <laughs> Could be. But, uh, we changed it to Sheila, and as we like to say, when there's nothing left to say, the rest is history. It was my first number one. Did, did Frida feel the same way about you? Did she chase you around too? 
Well, yes, you did. But you know what's interesting is I never, I never had the chance to present the poem to her. She just one day she didn't show up to school, so obviously she moved out of the neighborhood, Aww. and she never knew about it. And I figured, you know, I thought one of these days she's going to come to one of my concerts, right? Right. She's going to hear me talk about it on an interview somewhere. But I have yet to meet the girl again. I just kind of a strange situation. That is a strange situation. You would think, you know, after all these years, she would. You know, recognize the song and say, "Hey, yeah, but but you know what? It's Sheila. It's not Frida." So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and hopefully she's still with us anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know what? You, you, I don't, I, I'm thinking maybe you worked with Ray Stevens on this tune, the the uh, the new version of Dizzy. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> I, I tell you, I, you know, I sent it to Ray when I after I wrote it. I thought, Ray, here's a perfect song for you. But I didn't give him time to consider it because I just went ahead and recorded it myself. It, it was uh, my my daughter's idea. She really? Called me one day, she called me one day and said, you know, this COVID thing has got me dizzy. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you need to rewrite the lyrics to that and put it out. And I laughed. At first, I didn't think I didn't think I thought I didn't think much about it you know so I, the next day I started thinking about it I said you know that's a great idea and I got nothing else to do I'm, I'm, you know we're all home now right during the first part of the, of the uh, COVID thing so I sat down and rewrote the lyrics to it and you know I had a track that I recorded in Nashville with Freddie and uh, I just put my vocal on the track with the, with the new lyrics and I, it turned out really well and, uh, you know, I released it. It's all over the, you know, it's on Spotify and right. iTunes. It's on all the streaming services. So it's, it's called Dizzy, uh, Dizzy Country Version, COVID-19 Country Version. Right. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, and you know what's funny? It really works better now because they're going yeah. through this controversy about the mask. Right. So when they first told, told us to wear the mask, it said it wouldn't work because the virus would go right through. Yeah. That's part of my lyrics, you know, in the song. Oh, man. And, and then, of course, they changed their mind and scared everybody to death. So the lyrics work perfectly. You know, one of these news stations, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it'd be perfect for like a Fox News or something, you know, to, to play it yeah, on your show, yeah. you know, maybe Huckabee. I should send the, I should send that to Huckabee. He, he likes stuff like that. Yeah, send it to him. Send it to him. I you know, I've been so busy with all the things I'm going through. I haven't had a chance to promote it like I should. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got it on YouTube mm -hmm. and I got it on all the streaming services and that's about all I've had a chance to do with it. But if you, if you know, uh, Huckabee, send it to it. That'd, that'd be great. Yeah, I had, uh, I just interviewed Mark Farner recently. He was just on Huckabee. We were just talking yeah. about Huckabee. He, he's on Huckabee a lot. They're good friends. And you know, Huckabee, he's, he's also a musician, so he, you know, he, he oh, can, I know. he'll appreciate you for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's a bass player. Good yeah. bass player, too. Yes, he is. Yeah, I like the lyric, Jack Daniels, my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, and you know, it's funny. Once I got into it and I started thinking about it, the words just flowed right out. I mean, it just came so easy. I wrote that thing probably in 10 minutes. Really? That was great. It's just, it, it's funny how. You know, you get inspired for something like yep. that, and how it'll happen very quickly sometimes, you know. Sometimes the ones you struggle over for months never turn out to be very good. Your friend, your friend is Ray Stevens. You need to let him hear that song, man. Oh, I did. <laughs> oh, did you? Know, you? He got it. I sent it to Buddy Cab, his assistant. Yeah. Right. What did he say about? It? Have you have you heard any feedback from him yet? Oh yeah, he loved it. He yeah. loved it. I I thought my I thought 
maybe you'd do it on his cabaret show, you right. know, something like that. And he still might, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's still taping that show or not, but uh, they still may use it. They, they like it very much. Ray broke up when he heard it. He thought it was great. Oh, it'd be perfect on the, on, on the show. I, I could hear him uh, re-recording that, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Doing a cover version. Um, I, I, let me tell you, man, I love your uh, um, 2020 Vision EP. Uh, oh, thank you. I know it's only got four tracks on there, but every track is 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 gold, you know. Well, thank you. Really like you it. You know, man. that was a, a fun thing for me because I teamed up with my old buddy uh, who played the original guitar on Sheila, Wayne Moss. Really? He he was uh, he has that Cinderella sounds in Nashville. Yep. And we we had been talking for a while about doing some re- recording, and uh, you know, I just never got around to it, and then. I, st- I started re-recording my hits, you know, I, I re-recorded Sheila and I re-recorded everybody, I call it Sheila Revisited and Everybody Revisited, right. and also on the on Spotify, their streaming networks, but I did those at his studio, and when we finished recording those, he said, you know, you ought to make a, a new, you ought to cut some new songs and make, put out an album, I said, well, why don't we do one together? We'll call it Tommy Roe Meets Barefoot Jerry, he said, hey man, that's a great idea, so, uh, you know, we cut we cut that and uh, we cut uh, two of uh, those songs for the, that particular uh, EP, and then the Visions EP is a different one that we did at his studio as well. Uh, some of the, my favorites, and you got a couple of videos from that um, on YouTube, which I saw, like "Sun in My Eyes." Uh, uh-huh. What's that's one of my favorites. Very country. You know, yeah. you you get that kind of country crossover, kind of like uh, like David Gates from Bread. You know, yeah, he, he does yeah. kind of the same thing, I think. Well, I enjoy the country music. You know, it's just uh, it, it's you know, it, you know, I've been around so long. I remember real country music. You yeah. know, but you know, Mer- George Jones and Merle Haggard to right. me is country music. Right. But country music today is kind of almost like rock and roll music used to be. I, I mean, agree. it's it's uh, transitioned into something totally different. But uh, I, I like writing those kinds of songs. You know, looking for a thrill is another one that uh, kind of falls into that genre. And um, so anyway, I, I hit those songs in my catalog, and I decided just to record them with uh, Wayne up at his studio, and uh, they turned out really well. What gave you the idea for looking for a thrill? That's those are interesting lyrics. You know, I don't know. I wrote that song back in the seventies. That's an old song of yeah. mine. And I just kind of dug it out of the drawer and recorded it. And um, it was kind of, it was probably, I was probably writing because there were probably some songs in that genre during mm-hmm. that time, right. during the 70s, and I was probably writing, trying to cover that genre. But um, I really liked that song as well, and it seems to really work today. It, it does. It's probably better today than it did in the 70s. It does, because, you know, everybody is looking for a, a thrill today. You know, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> and then I, I that last line, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to do the soapbox derby races, you know. Right. And so the last line of the song is looking for a thrill like on the soapbox derby hill. <laughs> it reminded me <laughs> of my childhood. I, I know, a beautiful track, a slow, beautiful track is Remember. Love that oh, track. Oh, thank you, yeah. Yeah. Awesome track, and of course, then you got "Glitter and Gleam." Was that um, was that kind of dedicated to your wife? No, you know, "Glitter and Gleam." I recorded for Monument Records. Okay, that was, that's a re-record that's on the CD. That's a that's a new version of it. But the original version was on Monument Records, and Felson Jarvis produced that album for me. And and he was he was planning to record 
Gooder and Gleam with Elvis on his next session before oh, he passed away. Really? And that was all set to be on his set, and you know, and then he passed away. I missed, I missed the recording with Elvis because he he didn't hold up, you know. But yeah, uh, it would have been the perfect song for Elvis. He mm-hmm. felt and said he loved the song, and uh, I could just hear him doing it. You know, in my new version, I've I've tried to do it like I I would think Elvis would have done it. You know, kind of yeah, uh, like an Elvis version, you know. But um, I, I really like that song too. It's a fun song. You know, you know why I said about your wife because you know the the um, the, the uh, accordion sounds very French. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like the French, you know, French music in the background. And you know, yeah, it, I uh, I wrote that before I met my really met Jose. Yeah, huh. but uh, the new song uh, after Jose passed away, I wrote a song for her, and it's called. Uh, more petite Josette. Oh, really? And, yeah, it's a brand new song, and I, as soon as I get everything together, I'm going to record that. Beautiful. So, what what are you doing right now? What are you uh, you going to put together another EP or an album or what? Well, right now I'm going through the post situation with Josette. It's right. like you know, she passed away in December, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm still I'm in California now, trying to organize our house here. I've got to get. I'm, I'm thinking about selling this house in California okay. because I spend most of my time in Georgia anyway. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm organizing this. I'm trying to get rid of some things and get her things situated. Josette has a closet full of clothes. I mean, she had she was a real stylish dresser, yeah. you know, and she has so many great clothes, and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm, mm. her, my my daughter's coming down this week to help me sort all this out. So. Until I get all this sorted out, I can't really concentrate on making any music right sure. now. So um, she was I, maybe maybe the end of the year, or, mm-hmm. you know, first of the twenty-two, I can get back in the in the mood to do something, you know. But uh, right now, I, I'm just kind of bogged down with this. Well, you almost thought about retiring too at one time, right? Oh, I've retired several times. Right? <laughs> it, it's the comeback tour from Tommy Rowe. <laughs> I don't know how many times rock bands have, have done the the, uh, the final show and they come back three and four. Like what, one band that comes to mind is Kiss. I don't know how many yeah, times they've retired. Cheers, <laughs> same thing. Cheers the same way. Yeah, don't, you know yeah. you can't retire. What are you going to do? You gotta, I know you're a great yeah. golfer. You, you play a lot of golf, right? But how much golf yeah, can you I, play? I, I enjoy golf. I haven't played much recently, but. Uh, that was really my outlet, my physical outlet. But I'll I'll get back to that as well. Uh, who are the guys you hung out with playing golf? Did you play uh, with Glenn Campbell? Played with Glenn, mm-hmm. Malibu Country Club. Right. I used to see him over there all the time. He he kind of belonged to that club. And uh, Andy Williams, I played in his tournament twice. When you remember, they used to have the Andy Williams tournament. That's right. Um, then at, uh, I think it was Lacoste. Lacoste.
went to, I flew into Atlanta and I got off the plane and I, I couldn't walk from the gate to the baggage claim without sitting down. I was so out of breath. Huh. And I had this terrible pain in my chest. So I, I get home and I, I go to bed. It goes away. I figured, well, you know, it's just a fluke, you know. So I come back to L.A. and uh, same thing happens to me when I land in L.A. I, I have this feeling in my chest that's not right. And so I go to, I call my cardiologist and, and tell her what's going on. And she said, well, come on in and we'll give you an angiogram. So I went in for the angiogram. But, you know, that's where they put the camera in your vein and it right. goes in and looks around in your heart. And right. And you can, you can watch it. I mean, they, they give you a sedative, but you're still awake. So you're watching it on the video. And I'm sitting there watching this little camera move around. And it gets close to my heart. And I see this black spot. I say, what's that black spot there? She said, that's your problem. That's your problem. Because you have like 90% blockage in the main artery. Oh, my God. And I said, holy cow. You know, I said, well, what do we do? A stent? She said, I can't do a stent because it was right at the where it forks off into the separate arteries. So they couldn't do a stent. She said, we're going to have to do surgery, Tommy. And I'm laying on the table listening to this. Oh, know? my God. And I'm thinking, holy cow, man. All of a sudden, my life's upside down. <clears throat> she wouldn't even let me go home. She said, this, this is so dangerous. I'm going to keep you in the hospital. We're going to get you in surgery as soon as we can. Wow. Three days later, I had surgery. And, and uh, you know, I, it was just happened so fast. I couldn't believe it. And, uh Everything went perfect. The doctor was brilliant. The people I had at UCLA Medical Center mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles. Right. And, uh, everything went perfectly well. I, I, I never had any pain. I mean, it was amazing. I was thinking I was going to have mm. pain and everything else. And I come out of the hospital and I'm doing fantastic. I, in fact, my, I feel better than I did before I was, <laughs> I had the surgery. It's just incredible. You know, they do amazing things with the heart nowadays, you know? Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. The Technology is just phenomenal. My uh, my wife just went had a procedure done yesterday. She's got an internal bleed, and we don't know where it's coming from. So they, mm-hmm. they gave her a pill that has a camera in it. So mm-hmm. for the whole <laughs> the whole day, she was monitored, and this this you know she had to drink a lot of water and walk around and everything, and and this this the whole day that pill's traveling down to her intestines to see what's going on down there. So. It's another. It, remi- it reminds me of the Fantastic Voyage. Remember that movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible what they can do today. It, it really is. And, and I'll tell you, the doctors and the nurses—they're they're brilliant. They are they're so good. We owe um, a lot to them. I, I, I was just amazed. How, how long did it? Uh, no. How long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital about a week. I right. Five days all together, uh-huh. and. Um, I never had any pain at all. I, I know they gave me pain pills as soon as I got out of surgery, but they took me off the pain pills about two days later. Right. I, I still didn't have any pain, and I, I have never felt anything at all from the surgery. It's just, well, I, you know, they cut the breastbone, so they, they tie that breastbone back together with wires or some kind of material mm-hmm. you know, to hold the breastbone together. So occasionally I'll feel a little nick with a scar, you know, where the scar is. Sure, but, sure. But Yeah, I would have thought you had would have some kind of pressure, you know, on your chest or something where they where they cut, you know, but you didn't have that, huh? I have nothing. That's I mean, incredible. It, it just feels normal, except I can feel, I can say, the scar. Right, it, right. I, I, I know there's a scar there. I can feel that. Right. But um, it's uh, no pain whatsoever. It's just uh, 
I mean, that, I can't stand pain. I was, that's the thing I was really worried about. You know, I was worried about being in really bad pain after the surgery. And, uh, I wasn't, thank God. Well, thank God you're okay, Tommy. We need you, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in there for an old guy. I tell you what, I'm just, I, you know, I've had so many of my friends pass away. I know. You know Mac Davis passed away. Yeah. He had a, something with his heart as well. I don't know exactly what happened to him, but he, he passed away on the operating table Did while they really? were operating on him. And, mm. um, you know, I've had uh, several of my musician friends pass away and, you know, Ray Stevens and my, like, we were like the last, we're the only ones left out of that Lowry group. And yeah. So we were holding the fort down. Unbelievable. Really, it really is. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Anyway, I'll, I'll get back to what I, what I was going to say anyway. <laughs> okay. I wanted to talk, you know, this hasn't been um, recognized around the Internet as much as it should, was when you try to get the Beatles to sign, and that was with ABC Records, right? Was that with Sam Clark? Sam Clark, yeah. And he just totally dismissed them and made fun of them and and told them basically they were crap. But, you know, it's I looked around the Internet, besides me and you's conversation from last time, they don't mention it as much as they should. Well, you know, I'm always asked about that in interviews, and I, I talk about it with a lot of different interviews. But um, I don't know if you saw the movie Ray or not, Ray Charles. I did see that, yeah. Well, you know, they have a scene in that movie where Sam Clark is trying to talk Ray Charles out of doing that uh, album with a Hank Williams song. Right, so, right. I mean, Sam was not very up on what was happening, you know, and Ray said, no, I mm-hmm. really want to do those. I really want to do that album of Hank Williams songs. I think it would be a hit. And Sam Clark was saying, I don't know, Ray. I said, you need to stick with the blues, man. Right, right, right. <laughs> and Sam is the one. I, I, I put the Beatles record down on the table. Well, I handed him the album. He put it on the turntable and dropped the needle and played a few bars <laughs> in the first cut. I think it was I Want to Hold Your Hand. That's amazing. And, uh, he, he listened to a few bars of it, picked up the needle and said, I tell you what, kid. Let us be the talent scout. That's the worst piece of crap I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, this should be a major headline all around the Internet. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I developed a good relationship with um, uh, the Beatles manager, uh, Brian Epps. Right. While I was over there. In fact, he was negotiating with my manager to handle me in Europe, you know, mm-hmm. to manage me for, for the European uh, tours and stuff. So we were, and that's why he invited me to open for the Beatles in Washington after they did the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, that's how that all happened. You know, he called my manager and said, would Tommy open the show for, for, for my boys? Right. You know, doing their first concert in Washington, D.C. And of course, I was glad to do it. And um, so we had this relationship going and, uh, you know, we were trying to get more dates in Europe and we were doing well in England, but we wanted to get dates like in Germany and, you know, Spain and France and all these other places. So Brian was working with us on that. And, you know, they were, they were so naive. They had no clue what was about to happen to them with, with the Beatlemania and everything. They knew it happened in England, but they never dreamed it would happen in America. Yeah. And they, you know, they didn't need an opening act. <laughs> they didn't realize that. But, you know, they, they were ready after the Sullivan show. They were ready to do shows on their own. Right. You know, I'm I'm originally from the D.C. area, and I, I was at the Coliseum. I used to go to the circus there, 
And uh-huh. um, what what was that night like? I mean, that must have been. Yeah, I mean, you're you are history, man. Not only for your music and all your hits, but just being there for the first Beatles show in America. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, it was chaotic, just like it was in England. Yeah. I mean, they had already, uh, with the Ed Sullivan show, and they did that concert, I think it was three or four days after the Ed Sullivan show. Right. I mean, that was the launching pad. And uh, so the audience was absolutely went berserk when they went on stage. And our stage, it really wasn't the stage, if you, you, you're familiar with that mm-hmm. arena the way it is. Yep. It was, it, it, we, we were, uh, our, set up our equipment on a boxing rink. It was yeah. like a boxing ring right. where they had boxing. And so it bounced, you know, it had a give to it. And I don't know if you watched that video when Ringo's playing drums in that video. You can see him bouncing up and down. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how he managed to stay in, in tempo with the, with the drums bouncing around like that. It was incredible. And even when I was on stage, I would jump around and it would be like on a trampoline <laughs> almost, you know. It was really crazy. And, they, and the audience were throwing jelly babies. They read somewhere that the Beatles loved jelly beans, jelly babies. Well, we didn't have jelly babies over here. They called them jelly babies in England. But we had jelly beans. I don't know if you remember that candy. Yes. Yep. J- jelly beans. Uh-huh. And they were throwing jelly beans. Well, jelly beans are hard. Jelly babies were soft. <laughs> So you'd get hit with these darn jelly beans, man, if you like to get hit with a, with a pebble. That's you know? crazy. That's crazy. It was amazing. And, and, of course, after the show, you know, I went up briefly and sat with them in, the, in their room. But they, they were whisked off right away to do some of it. They mm-hmm. went to some kind of a thing for the uh, uh, ambassador of England, you know, where they you know, they was in such demand, it was just crazy, you yeah. know, absolutely crazy. I, I got a friend that was at that show, and I know Al Gore was at that show, right? Al was at the show, yeah. he was, he sure was. He was a good friend of Felton Jarvis, you know, my producer. Right, right. Um, Felton told him what was going on. He had informed Al about the Beatles. Well, he didn't, Al didn't know anything about the Beatles, you know, but because I had toured with him, Felton informed him about what I said, I, I, you know, I was like hyping them like crazy, trying to get somebody to sign them over here. Yeah. And uh, uh, that that was what I was talking about earlier about Brian Epstein. He, the, the reason I brought him up was he he gave me a little promo pack to see if I could get the Beatles signed right. to my label. You know, uh, they had no idea they could get a record deal, and they was trying in any way they could to, to get a deal. And so he gave me actually it was just a, like a nibs bag, you know, a Nim's record store bag from his record store that had his album in it, right. had some singles and, you know, a bio and a photo and stuff like that. And that's what I took to ABC Records, was that little bag of Beatle goodies that they that he gave me, you know. And, uh, you know, what's amazing is I never got their autograph. <laughs> <laughs> no, that happens, I did. <laughs> you know, you just don't think about those things yeah. in, in the moment, you know, and I had all his little bag of Beatles stuff that they gave me. I never got them to sign it or anything, you know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, well, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and you got plenty of pictures of you and the Beatles. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the memories, you know, I've got some right. great memories of that tour in England. I mean, the, you know, the movie they did, Hard Day's Night, right. that was really based on our tour, because that's exactly how our tour was. Really? I mean, you'd, you'd finish the show, and you'd try to exit the theater from the stage from the stage door, you know, and there'd be mobs of people outside 
and you couldn't get through them, you know, and they'd chase you down the street. If the bus was, if you had to walk a while of ways to get to the bus, you know, they'd chase you and, you know, just practically run you over in the, mm. into the wall, you know. I mean, it was really crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, well Tommy, maybe they were waiting for you, not the Beatles. <laughs> well, they chased me as well. If they couldn't find the Beatles, they chased who the the show, you know. That's right, you performed with them. <laughs> yeah, it was all good. I mean, I had my fans there, too. So did Chris. We That's had right. our fans. I think they, they were, like, overruled by the noisy Beatles. What happened with the Beatles, they were just developing their fan base there, and their fans would follow them from venue to venue. Yeah. They'd get in a, on a train or whatever. Yeah. Trains were very easy over there. Hop on a train and go to the next town. Well, the next town would, would be, like, 40 or 50 miles, and mm-hmm. everything is close together over there. So their fa- their fans would follow them follow them from theater to theater, and they'd have a, their fan club at each show, you know, and they just create chaos wherever they went. So it, it, it was pretty amazing. It reminded me of the first time I, I saw Elvis. You know, I saw Elvis in person when I was about fifteen, sixteen years old in Atlanta. That's amazing. Yeah. He he uh, he played at the Paramount Theater. And he, right. He had just signed with uh, RCA. He was on Sun, and he had just. Of course, I had all of his records from Son, you know, mm-hmm. That's All Right, Mama, and all those early, early records that he made. And then he had this first record out, Heartbreak Hotel, on RCA, yeah. and he was promoting that coming through Atlanta, and he did a show at Paramount. And so I, I got a ticket, you know, I think the ticket was only like a dollar or something. Oh, it was like, you know, unbelievable. Everything was so cheap back then. Yeah. And so I go to the show, and I'm like on the third row right down front on the left side on the left aisle you know and I'm thinking man this is great I'm going to see Elvis and everything I can see really good mm-hmm. I can see the stage and the, the, the theater's theater wasn't really full it was maybe three quarters full really full and uh, Scotty Moore and the boys come out and play a few tunes and they get you know a little polite applause applause and then they introduce Elvis well, when he walks on stage the audience just leaves their seats and rushes the stage. Huh. And it, it's like, uh, you never really, you only heard him sing a few of the first bars of the first song, and I think he opened the show with That's All Right, Mama. And you only heard a few bars of that, and then it was over. I mean, it was just chaos, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, that's what happened with the Beatles. So, I yeah. mean, I, that's what I, that was my selling point to Felton and everybody back in the States. I, I was telling everybody, like, it's like Elvis all over again, you know, and they, they didn't believe it. You had to see them to believe it, you know. It, they, just, they didn't believe it. And, you know, the original rock and roll uh, icon was Frank Sinatra. He started that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Soxers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the chaos. That, that magnetism, that stage magnetism, you know, yeah. when you... Uh, the audience just can't control themselves, especially the girls, you know. Exactly. Um, it, it's the girls that create that excitement and they get all excited. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see that again with the media the way it is now. Yeah. Everything everything is so exposed. There's right. no mystery to anything, really. Yeah. Um, there was a mystery to things back then. I mean, yep. you, you would hear a record on the radio like Elvis or you know, Johnny Cash or Roy Orbison or something, it, but you never saw them. There was no video. Yep. So you had your own imagination about what they mm-hmm. looked like and what what they would be like performing and all this. And so when you finally saw them in person, it was like you solved the mystery, you know. It was like, this is fantastic. You yep. know, I get to see what they're really like in person. But today, I mean, 
they're everywhere. They're on the media. They're on the you know streaming the videos and everything else. You know. Yeah, you see and, them too uh, much. You see them way too much. You get tired yeah. of it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a different. You know, it's a different world. Right? It is it's a totally different world. Yeah. It's funny. My I love talking to my granddaughter. She's on her way out here now. Mm-hmm. She just. Uh, Came back from Israel. She she went on. Well, she went to Israel with a group of kids because just on a biblical tour, you know, to see Israel. Oh, great! All the religious sites. Yeah. And she fell in love with it, and she said, "I've got to figure out a way to spend more time here." So she applied to the University of Haifa, mm-hmm. and they accepted her. Oh wow! So she went. She went there, and she spent two years in Israel at college at the University of Haifa, and she just finished her. Her, her, whatever she had to do for the two years, mm-hmm. and she came. She just came back to the states, mm-hmm. and uh, I love hanging out with her. She's such an adventurous young lady. She she's been she's traveled more places around the world than I have. She's only twenty six years old. I mean, she's me. just huh. she's incredibly adventurous. And she calls me the Justin Bieber of the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That may be that may be true. <laughs> yeah, she, said, she said she was traveling with her friends in Israel driving through the desert over there mm-hmm. and all of a sudden one of the Disney came on the radio <laughs> and she said that's my grandfather and I said what? How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> so she gets a kick out of that and, you know I, I, I tell her about vinyl and all she, she laughs at me when I talk about <laughs> vinyl records. She, she says the problem with that is you got to store all that crap. Yeah that's true. You know, she's happy to give her a backpack and a mobile phone she's good yeah, you know? she can't. She can't carry vinyl in a backpack. <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> you, you know who I talked to? The, the you were you toured with the Beatles in the beginnings, and then I chatted with uh, Don Daneman of the Circle. And the Circle uh-huh. they toured with the Beatles later until they uh, stopped touring. You know, through like 1966. And their manager was actually Brian Epstein. They they. Um, they, you know, he managed the circle, so it's kind of oh, cool. Yeah. I got, I got you, and then the circle, and and you, you guys are the ones who toured with the Beatles all that time. Yeah. Well, you know, there were only a few acts that opened for the Beatles. Yep. Uh, I mean, they, when they got so hot that nobody ever opened for them again. But uh, Roy Orbison opened for them in England, mm-hmm. and um, of course Chris Montez and I, I. I mean, the Beatles opened for Roy Orbison. Right. That's what I mean. And um, uh, they opened for uh, the girl singer, uh, not Shirley Bassey, the other girl, the, British girl. They opened for her. Right. And that's the only groups that they ever opened for. Huh. Well, three groups. Was that Celia Black? And, Celia Black, by any chance? Celia Black. Celia Black, right. She was yeah. very big in England. No, no, it was uh, Helen Shapiro. Oh, Helen Shapiro, okay. All yeah. Right. You were friends with Roy, right? Pardon me? You were friends with Roy, right? Roy Orbison? Oh, yeah. I toured with Roy yeah. a lot in England. And uh, even in the States, we did shows together when he had the Candy Man, you know, mm-hmm. Roy Orbison and the Candy Man. That, right. That's when Bobby Goldsboro was his guitar player. Yep. Yeah, I interviewed Bobby. He's still he's still doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's down in Florida. He's a fantastic painter. He artist, is. You know? He's very good. And, Yeah, he's not too far from me. He's further up north. Yeah. Yeah, but 
but he's a nice guy. I used to play golf with him, too. In fact, I got a photo, I think it's in my book, from Cabbage Town to Tinseltown. It's a photo of Bobby, Andy Williams, Glenn Campbell, and me on the golf course. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know, I was heartbroken with, with Glenn died because I, I really like Glenn Campbell. And I, I love Andy Williams, too. I, I went to several of Andy Williams' shows, his Christmas shows, and they were they're incredible. You know? Oh, yeah, he was an incredible singer. Yeah. They're also talented. You know, Glenn was such a talented guitarist. Yep. Singer and, mm-hmm. you know, works. I mean, he just take a song and make it his own, you know. It was terrific. Great guitar player, you know. Oh, a fabulous guitarist. He played yeah. on sessions before he became the star, you know. That's right. He, he, played, he played on a lot of the Beach Boys records. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played on a lot of hits out of L.A., I, 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 one story I never heard of before about John Lennon's brawl on the bus. Oh, yeah. What was that all about? <laughs> well, we, you know, we towards the end of the tour, maybe halfway through the tour, they did a, a release party for their first album on the tour. Right. It was in, Man, it was in Manchester. Okay. And they had it at this uh, big house. It was almost like a castle. They had it. I don't know if it was a business place or a home or what, but it was a huge house, and they had maybe 300 people there. There's a lot of people, two or 300 people at the party, and a lot of booze, a lot of food, and, you know, music playing, and the Beatles, introducing the Beatles and the whole thing, and so Chris uh, left the party early and went back to the bus, and then I did the same thing. I came after Chris, I came back to the bus, and Chris was asleep in the aisle seat, and I stepped over him and sat next to the window. And um, a few minutes later, uh, John and the rest of the guys come on the bus, and John's loaded. He's got a tennis in his hands, and he's walk- as he walks by Chris, he pours the beer over Chris's head. Really? And Chris comes out of the seat swinging, man, and they start fighting in the middle of the aisle there. And uh, nobody would break it up. And I said, man, let's break, break you guys, stop it. <laughs> so I, went, I broke the fight up. And uh, John would, John never got over that. He got mad at me for breaking it up because really? he skipped the best of Chris that time, you know. And so John used to let me borrow his guitar on the bus. To, you know, they would write songs. They were always writing songs, and I was writing. In fact, I wrote everybody on John Lennon's acoustic guitar really? on, bus huh. on that trip. Did not know that. And so he, he used to let me borrow his guitar to write songs. And so after the after the fight, after that incident on the bus, and I broke the fight up, he wouldn't let me use his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him one day, John, is it okay if I use a guitar? No, can't use it. Not, not anymore. That's it. Yeah, I always heard he was a little bit of a wise guy, you know, from other people. Oh, he, he was the he was the wise guy. And yeah. He, you know, he was my pup buddy. We used I used to hang out with him at the pubs. He, yeah. He's the one that taught me to drink Guinness. You know, I never had Guinness before in my life, and that was his drink. Yeah. And he, he, so he introduced me to Guinness, and uh, we would we would hang out at the pubs. He he was a rowdy rowdy guy. You know, he's always <laughs> talking loud, drawing the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Tom Jones had a story he was talking about when he came out and uh, uh, I think John called him a, a Welsh uh, pup, a puff, a puff, a Welsh puff. And Tom Jones was ready to fight him like right away. But I think his manager kind of told him, that's just the way John is. Don't be cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, what's funny is uh, after he would do something like that, 
he'd come to you and he'd be so gentle and act like nothing ever happened, you know. He was, yeah. <laughs> he, he was he, you know, he's kind of an enigma. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I, but he was so talented. I mean, what a songwriter. Yeah. I mean, so talented. And, um, he, he was really, I think, uh, in the beginning, he was really the the one that made that all work. You know, he was like a he he really made it pulled everything together and uh, the band for rehearsals and all that. He he was really the organizer of the whole thing. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Yeah, I I got I never got to see the Beatles, but I saw three of them. You know, on their show, and I saw Ringo like three or four times. I was invited uh, as a guest to cover his shows and things like that, but. John, you know, before he uh, he was assassinated, he was going to tour, you know, yeah. and uh, that, that would that, that he was the only guy I never saw in concert was John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I what yeah. I what I admire about you too, when everybody was having a hard time, you know, all the top forty guys, American guys, when the British invasion came, I don't know how you pulled this off, but hooray for Hazel. I told you this once before. I'm going to say it again. I 100% I thought it was by a British band. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had to survive, Ray. I was, you know, after that concert in Washington, D.C., where I opened for the Beatles in uh, February of 1964, in the spring of that year, I went into the Army boot camp. I joined the Army Reserve, so I had to go into boot camp. Mm-hmm. So I was at boot camp all of 64. Wow. I was out of the business completely. Huh. And while I was in the service, that's when the British invasion really took hold. And I was watching all this, you know, for, while I'm in the service. And I'm and, and the British acts are pushing all the American acts off the charts. And the the charts are just full of British acts, mm-hmm. you know, Jerry the Pacemakers, the yeah. Beatles, you know, Dave Clark Five, you name it. They fill it up the charts. And all the American acts are left by the wayside. And I'm thinking, holy cow, when I get out of the service, I got to go in the studio and make a record, and how am I going to compete with these guys? I kind of did rockabilly before I went to service. I was right. considered a rockabilly artist. Sure. Really. And um, so I'm thinking, I've got to come up with something really different to compete with these guys, and that's where I came up with the idea. Uh, I called it soft rock. I wrote Sweet Pity while I was in the service. Mm-hmm. I, I started writing, and I finished when I got out. But I started writing Sweet Pity, and I thought, I'm going to do something that's soft rock. It's, it's like nothing they hear, and it's safe. Back then, the DJs were always looking for something to play on the radio that was safe, that wouldn't offend anybody, you know? Right. <laughs> so I, I write Sweet Pea, I get out of the service, and I come to L.A. and record it at, uh, in, in L.A., and uh, it becomes a huge hit for me, you know? Boom, all of a sudden, I, I have a hit. I'm in the mix with all these British guys, and then, I'm an American act in the charts with them, so I'm, I'm back in back in the charts, and I followed up with Hooray for Hazel, which I kind of mimicked the British sound. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And, and so I managed to survive through the '60s with all those British acts, and it was really it was because I could write my own material. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't been able to write my own songs, I wouldn't have been able to survive either. You know, yeah. it's, it's just I created you know the bubblegum sound, the soft. I call, I called it soft rock. The DJs labeled it bubblegum music, mm-hmm. but it, I really created my own genre, you know. So um, it, it really helped me to to manage to have hits among all of that great music that was coming from England. Yeah, I thought it was. It might have been like a band like Manfred Mann or somebody like that. That's what it kind of mimicked, you know. 
And, yeah, yeah. Bill yeah. Manfred Band recorded Sweet Pea, an instrumental version of Sweet Pea. Oh, they did? I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, but it, it's fantastic. It's an instrumental version. Uh, you, I think you can hear it on, it might be on, on the streaming services. I'm not sure. But um, it, it's really a good version of it. Now, here's here's the thing that's been going on for a long time, and people are going. You, you know the song you did, Sweet Pea, with the little girl, right? That you guys sang. Yes. Okay. Got the video. This is go. This goes on and on and on. There's people that swear that it's your daughter. Other people. Yeah. I, I mean, it's amazing that they, they just can't get over this video. <laughs> I know it, it's created a lot of controversy. A lot of people thought that it was, I, I was like a dirty old man. That's ridiculous. Young girl, you know. But it had nothing to do with that. What happened was, I was doing Sweet Pea, and they, the uh, producer of the show said, you know, sing to somebody in the audience. So I go over, she's sitting right on the edge, and I start singing to her, and she knows every word of the song. She's she's singing right along with me, yeah. you know, as I lip sync the song. And uh, she does look like my daughter, actually, my daughter Cindy, <laughs> who was out in California with me at the time. But uh, her name is Darlene West, uh-huh. and, and she, uh, I recently, she got in touch with me about, she wanted to know if she could get a copy of the video. Really? She wanted to show it to her children and uh-huh. her grandchildren to have it for them. And so I, I got in touch with Dick Clark offices here in L.A., and they got her a copy of it for her, I think it was for her birthday or for Christmas or something like that. They, they sent her a copy, and she has never forgot. I mean, every year she just thanks me so much for getting her that video. And uh, she's, of course, she's, I don't know, she's probably in her 50s now. I don't know how old she is, maybe her 60s even. But she, she was, I think she was about 14 or 15 in that video, and I was in my 20s, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's a really a cute video. It's just, it's, it's, it's got a lot of hits. I mean, yes. a lot of people watch it. Tommy, you you've got to do another video with her now. <laughs> you, you know the people would go nuts. That would be like, you know, I did a video with Miss Miller. You remember? Yeah, Miss Miller. Miller. Yeah. She re- she recorded Sweet Pea as well. Did she really? <laughs> and I I did a video with her on where the action is. I haven't seen that anywhere. Oh my sure gosh. In the stratosphere somewhere, but um, <laughs> you know that stuff. And then, then the thing I did at Filmways, um, uh, uh, Ted Bolt Talbot with uh, what was the show? Uh, uh, what was the name of that sitcom? Eddie Albert and Ava Gabor. Oh, Green Acres. Green Acres. Green Acres. Yeah, yeah I did a, a, a shot in Green Acres, like a, a video shot, uh-huh. and. Uh, so it's out there in the, on the internet as well, <laughs> that whole album. Yeah, but imagine if you did that, you know, you mimic exactly the same way. You know, she's just following you with the words and mimicking you. How cool would that be? Everybody would yeah, love to see what she, cool. yeah, everybody would love to see what she looks like now. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. Tommy, here, here's your final question, and I, I always ask everybody this, get some interesting answers. I'm sure I've answered you, you've answered this before. Uh, if you had a Field of Dreams wish, like the movie, to perform or collaborate with anyone from the past or present, who would that be? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I guess John Lennon. John Lennon. <laughs> That would be uh, if fantastic. He's, you know? If he's still talking to you. 
Yeah, and we, you know, we had such a good relationship right. during that tour. You know, we yeah. we got along very well, John and I. And uh, and even after that little incident on the bus where he wouldn't let me have the guitar, <laughs> at funny. the end it was all he was very apologetic and yeah. he, you know it was all well well and done. So, but yeah, that would be fantastic to be able to collaborate with John. It yeah. would be great. Two incredible songwriters together. You know that that would yeah. be cool. That would be awesome. You know, when I think about it, uh, the uh, bubblegum thing, uh, really, the early Beatles records were really the blueprints for bubblegum music, if you think sure. about it. Yeah. Um, their song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, mm-hmm. and Please Please Me, Love Me Do. Yeah. Um, I mean, lyrically, what's the difference in that and Oh Sweet Pea, Come On and Dance with Same Me? Same thing. Exactly right. It, uh, they, Of course, they transitioned into something very much very progressive during their career, you know, but really that's how they got on on the charts in the beginning was with that bubblegum sound. See, I consider you a rocker from, because you, you, know, you started way back, you know, with, with I mean, Sheila was incredible. I was, you know, that's, that's yeah. you know, that's that's Eddie Cochran style and Buddy Holly and, you know, all that. Yeah. And But uh, do you like, you like being called like I mean I've heard you as the father of bubblegum, the grandfather of bubblegum, the godfather of bubblegum. Did you like yeah. that that phrase or? Oh, well, you know I used to resent it because it was kind of a dig from the DJs, you know. But yeah. um, you know through the years I've just embraced it and run with it. I, you know I loved rock and roll when I was a kid. Yeah. I, you know my favorites were Buddy Holly and Chuck Berry, sure. all those early guys. You know, and uh, when I had my band, my early band, they were always rock and roll bands. We mm-hmm. we covered all the rock and roll songs, you know. And after Sheila, everybody was very rock and roll, rockabilly, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, like I said earlier, I had to figure out a way to survive the, all that music. And they were really doing kind of rockabilly music from England, you know. And so I didn't want to try to, I didn't want to mimic their sound. I couldn't get away with that. So I had to come up with something that was different, and that's how I came up with the bubblegum thing. So it was uh, uh, helped me carry on through the 60s, and, and I embrace it and love it. I mean, you know, when I sing Sweet Me in person, I, I look out at the audience, and the audience has this big smile on their face. Yeah. And they just, it, that song does something to people that makes them grin and smile big, you know? So, it, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, man. You know, it's an easy song to sing and remember the lyrics because, you know, you can't remember a lot of lyrics. I, I don't. I, there's a lot of songs I can't remember the lyrics, but I can with Sweet yeah. Pea and I can with Dizzy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, they're I, fun songs and they're easy listening and they're, right. they're family oriented. And even, you know, my last concert was in 2017. I did a show in Marietta, Georgia, which mm-hmm. was kind of appropriate for my last concert being, being an Atlanta-born entertainer and um, I, I had all of my friends who I grew up with in high school came to the show it was really quite quite a show and it was uh, it, I didn't intend for it to be my last show but after that show is when my wife got really sick yeah and I and I just couldn't I couldn't mentally I couldn't tour anymore I couldn't do it you know right so um, maybe I'll come back out you know once I get settled and my mind's clear and everything and I'll go out and do some more dates, but uh, we'll just have to take it one day at a time and see, see how it goes. You did this um, LA Emergency COVID 19 Crisis Fund thing, right? That was all together now? You were part yeah, of that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did that. Yeah, I, 
I did uh, a medley of my, it was a show I did in Toronto where right. I put together a, we videoed that show and I put together a medley of all the songs on that show. I think it's, I'm sure it's on YouTube now because I, I did miss it. I didn't know it was out at the time. That It, it was, um, was that in 2020, I think? Yeah, April. Yeah, I was, yeah, it was last year. It was in the, in the beginning of the COVID thing. Right, right. But that, that had a list of, um, people that were incredible. I mean, all the people in the Yeah, show. it was, it was a pretty good telethon. They raised quite a bit of money, uh, for the, you know, first, first responders and, right. uh, nurses and, you know, the people that were working so hard to, treat the, the, the people that got sick, you know. It, mm-hmm. was, uh, it was a good telethon. Well, Tommy, take care of yourself, man. Don't overdo it. I, I, I was going to ask you, uh, was there anything that attributed to your uh, heart attack that might have, I mean, were you a smoker or anything? or do, is there? No, and I, you know, the, the thing is, I just, I was always a meat eater. I okay. steaks. I mean, I, I would eat steaks three times a week. Uh, you know, I was cheese, I love cheese, you know, pizzas. You have to not eat stuff like that because of the cholesterol, you know. Right. And that was my problem. My heart is good. My mm-hmm. heart functions well. There's nothing wrong with my heart. I don't really have heart disease. It's just the, the cholesterol buildup. Mm. And uh, I guess that's that's considered heart disease. But yeah. um, that was my problem, you know. And I used to love sausage and bacon and eggs. I mean, that's how I ate, you know. And now I, I've eaten more fish in the past few years than I've ever eaten, than I've eaten all my life. I know. Fish and chicken and salad. Right, right. <laughs> well, that's what my wife's telling me, because I eat just like you did. You know, I, I'll eat pizza. I love steak. Same thing, you know. And uh, Well, if you're going to eat steak, eat the, the, the uh, filet. Okay. That's, that's the least fat. Yeah. And you see, I used to love ribeye. Me too. It's full of yeah. Marbling, you know, I mean, that, yeah. the ribeye is the best tasting steak you can eat. Sure. And, uh, but it's full of fat, you know. Yep. And, uh, I used to love Jimmy Dean sausage, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> I love hot dogs too. <laughs> you name it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, and I did, I did gain some weight, you know, I'm 62 and, uh, I've gained some weight and, you know, it's, it's hard to get rid of that weight, you know. I, I was yeah. really thin in yeah. high school, but now I'm, you know, you know, it's, it's yeah. you, you got to like have you said, just have to do everything in moderation. You know, that's that's yeah. the secret. It's hard, you know, and I I write and I'm up late at night and I sit down a lot. So I know, yeah, that's eat, that. a, eat a pint of ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'll have yeah. one now. <laughs> yeah, I, could go, I could go through a pint and you know five minutes and be gone. I know, I know, I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm the same way. Tommy, hey, Ryan, great, great, great talking to you. My me friend. too, man. It's, 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 it's wonderful. You know, I didn't send you a copy of the book, have I? I don't think so. Okay. Do you, do you like it in um, uh, ebook form, or do you want a regular book? I'd like a regular book. Okay. okay. I'll um, I'll go ahead and email. Um, it, it, it was your PR person that contacted me? I, I forgot yeah, her name. Debbie. Debbie Cross. Debbie, right? Debbie. I'll I'll contact Debbie. Get the address and I'll send you. A, I'll send you a book. Perfect. Sounds good, Ray. All right, Tommy. Great talking to you again, man. You too. You take care. You too. Thank you very much. Adios. All right. Adios. Bye bye now. First is Tommy Rowe Vision 2020 2020 Vision on it's an EP. Uh, Tommy released a new four song EP 2020 Vision. It's in digital in the digital era of music. 
He says, I love making music. Uh, there is something special about getting in the studio and being surrounded by great musicians. It just brings electricity of creativity. I just can't get away from that. Even after all these years, I get excited knowing that I will be making new music. The new EP is available on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Amazon Music, uh, Google Play, Deezer, Tidal, and much, much more. For more information about Tommy Rowe, you can visit www.tommyrowe.com. Tommy's a proud member of the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, Rockabilly Hall of Fame, the Hit Parade Hall of Fame, and Iowa Rock and Roll Music Association Hall of Fame. Very, very special thanks to Debbie Cross of Spending Plates Management. And, of course, the dynamic duo of Doug and Don Newsom of BBS Radio TV for making the magic happen for each and every broadcast of Interviewing the Legends. Uh, if you have uh, comments or would like to be a sponsor for Interviewing the Legends, you can contact me at interviewingthelegends at gmail.com. And we're all about real news. And, of course, my new book is out, entitled The Rock Star Chronicles, Series 1, Working on Series 2, Chronicles Truths, Confessions, and Wisdom from the Music Legends that Set Us All Free. You can order yours today on the uh, Collector's Edition hardcover or ebook at bookbaby.com and amazon.com. features over 45 intimate conversations with some of the greatest rock legends the world will ever know, including, including Mr. Tommy Rowe. Uh, book review by uh, Literary Titan gave the book five stars. Thanks for listening. We appreciate anything you can for us. Um, join us every week on Tuesday from uh, 7 o'clock Pacific, 10 o'clock Eastern Time on Interviewing the Legends with Ray Shasho, and we'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Interviewing the Legends. Brought to you by the Publicity Works Agency. Call 941-877-1552 or visit us at publicityworksagency.com. Specializing in author and music artist publicity plans. We shine when we make you shine. Tune in to Interviewing the Legends. Every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio, Station 1.